You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Dennis Snow. He has a passion for service excellence and has consulted with organizations around the world on the subject. His customer service abilities were born and developed over 20 years with Walt Disney World. In his last year with Disney World, his leadership performance was ranked in the top 3% of the company's leadership team. 3%. That's impressive. And it's a big company. <laughs> Dennis, yes. Dennis is now a full-time speaker, trainer, and consultant, and is dedicated to helping organizations achieve their goals in the areas of customer service, employee development, and leadership. He is also the author of two best-selling business books, Lessons from the Mouse and Unleashing Excellence. Great titles for the books. I think I love more the one about the mouse. <laughs> yeah, that one tends to, to resonate with people. They, 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 sometimes people don't get the Disney connection, but most of the time they do. Yeah. Well, if, yeah. they, if, they, if they think about a regular mouse, right. well, yeah. what lessons does the real mouse have? Well, Walt, <laughs> Walt, Walt Disney, uh, when he was still alive, toward the end of his life, he would remind his staff, he said, let's never forget that it all started with a mouse. And, uh, yes. That was a pretty good philosophy. Yeah. Very humble beginnings. Did you get to meet Walt? No, never did. I, uh, Walt died in 1966, so I was still pretty young at that point. But there are a lot of people uh, still you know, that, have, that I know that did work with Walt. And one of my favorite things is just sitting down and asking a question and just sitting back and letting them share Enjoying that. Walt's story, stories of working with Walt Disney. That's a real pleasure. Amazing. Yeah. And Dennis, do you want to add anything else about yourself or are yeah, you also? My, my background, I was, uh, you know, I was going to college and uh, needed a summer job. And so my dad reminded me how much I loved Disney World when I was a child. We had visited Disney World when I yes. was a child. So he said, why don't you drive down to Florida? We lived up in Vermont, up in the northern part of the country. And he said, why don't you go down and see if you can get a job at Disney World? So I did. And I worked at, a, at an attraction. It's not there anymore, called 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I was, I was Captain Nemo, driving the submarines. <laughs> and to this day, that's still the best job that I have ever had. Um, I just, and I just fell in love with the place. And so what was going to be a three-month career, you know, three-month job, uh, turned into a 20-year career. And so I got into management and managed various operating areas and was with the Disney University and the Disney Institute. And it was a wonderful, just just a fabulous 20-year career and, and really set the stage for what I do now is speaking and training and consulting all about customer experience. That's That's everything that I focus on. And so that Disney background just provided a wonderful foundation for what I do now. That's but being uh, Captain Nemo, yeah. being Captain Nemo is still the best job that I've ever had. Still the best job. <laughs> That's right. See, sometimes like jobs that everybody is hunting with prestige and offices and everything, sometimes they're not the best jobs. Sometimes having driving a submarine is better. Driving, dri driving a submarine that didn't really go underwater. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Dennis, I'm really curious about your stories. So let's get into them. What is the biggest leadership success story you've witnessed personally? Yeah, there's there's so many, but you know, from my Disney days and from from when I uh, doing the the work that I do now. But probably, you know, my one of the best leaders that I ever had was a lady by the name of Valerie Oberly, and she was the the vice president of the Disney Inst or Disney University, and then the Disney Institute, and. We were going through a lot of changes. There were a lot of, of changes being made to the Disney Institute and, and what we were doing and, and the business model was changing. And Valerie exhibited the, just the ideal leadership traits that you would want in any type of challenging situation, which so many organizations are going through right now. You know, a lot of yes. challenges. Where she set the vision, you know, on where, you know, it was a broad vision, but on where we needed to go. Um, and it was still evolving, you know, in her mind and everybody's mind, but, but she really kind of set the vision and then saw her role as providing the team of which I was a part with what they needed to, to be successful. So she removed roadblocks. Uh, she allowed us to make mistakes, you know, and we made plenty of them. That's uh, a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, she was comfortable with risk, you know, and, and, and letting us do those things. She was very appreciative. She, she gave the credit to her team rather than taking credit for herself. And so when I look back at my experiences over the years, Valerie's, her leadership style was exactly what we needed at that point. And what she ended up doing was building a very entrepreneurial culture uh, within a much, you know, the Disney organization, of course, is huge. You know, yes. the size of the place. So we were just a part of it. And she created this very entrepreneurial culture that people were enthusiastic. They, you know, looked forward to coming to work felt respected, felt appreciative, uh, appreciated, uh, felt like it was okay to take calculated risks. Uh, so that was probably the, the, the story that stands out best for me amongst a lot of stories. But, and that was 23, 24 years ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. So that's how powerful it was. Yes, and um, what word like what was the impact on the on the business by all this change having the, this entrepreneurial culture? Well, from a there was a number of, of positive impacts. First, from a financial standpoint, you know, in terms of business coming in, uh, we were highly successful. And what what really showed me that it was working was the amount of repeat business that we were getting. And referral business that we were getting that's always you know awesome. a sign yes, that the you're best doing kind of business right you know <laughs> that you're doing something right um the retention of the the team you know that that people wanted to be there and so when you looked at the uh, we did we did they call their employees cast members at disney world uh when we would do cast member surveys you know the the Disney University and then the Disney Institute, which came out of that constantly, you know, consistently rated very, very high in terms of 
uh, cast member engagement. And so all of those metrics that you would look at, you know, from a financial standpoint, from a customer or guest satisfaction standpoint, and from an employer cast member standpoint, you know, those three things are really kind of the, the, the best metrics on, yes. on how you're doing all so, you know, rank so highly. And uh, so, uh, you know, I always look back at those years as Camelot, you know, everything just sort of <laughs> came together and, and just worked so well. Uh, so, and, and if I talk to any of my former colleagues from those days, and we do these Zoom meetings together. You know, we do Zoom meetings yeah. together. We all feel exactly the same way. You know, this many years later, we all feel ex that that was a moment in time for us in the organization. And I attribute it to Valerie Oberly. I, I attribute it to her, to her leadership uh, of the organization. So even after all these years, you knights of the table still meet on the yeah, table. Yeah, yeah. And you know, sometimes we meet at a coffee shop, but lately one of our friends has started uh, doing these Zoom uh, cocktail hours on Monday afternoon. Oh, nice. And so a bunch of us. And so we actually are closer now than we have been over the, you know, since we all left because we're getting together all the time now over these Zoom calls. So it's been really nice. Uh, that just shows the quality of the relationships that Valerie emboldened to yeah. create. So not just towards her, but also for the team members. And there are people that might be apprehensive about emboldening like a more entrepreneurial uh, mindset mm -hmm. inside teams because yeah. some some leaders want more of the micromanagement style force command and conquer yeah uh, and i've had leaders they, like that too you know and I, I i've had leaders like that as well uh and i think different leadership styles can be appropriate for different time frames you know in what's happening in the organization um but this was the perfect leadership approach for that time um, and again it set the tone for for a tremendous amount of success and a tremendous amount of engagement for the team and i think that's always the sign of a good leader is is whether you like the leader or not if you are engaged in what you're doing and you feel respected you're going to do your best you know, so oh, it's not about personality. And I think that's an important distinction yeah. to make too. It's not about personality uh, because you know, there can be a hundred different personalities and a hundred different leaders, but if they're doing those core things right, you know, setting their people up for success, recognizing them, or showing appreciation, that's what matters. You know, the personality part of it, some people are cheerleaders, some people are reserved, you know, it, Yes. It's what you do that makes the difference. Exactly. And it's not, there are several paths to achieve the same goal. So you can find stuff that applies to your own personality. Don't yeah. try to change your personality to be a better leader. Do no, stuff and, that and, works with for yourself. And I know one of your previous guests that you had, Lee Cockrell, uh, he yes. was a fantastic leader at Disney. If you talk to people who worked with Lee, uh, they will have this same type of conversation as they reflect on Lee's uh, leadership style and just 
you know, how he would be out in the park and he would be interacting with people. How can we do things better? Uh, he was, a, I was so glad when I saw that you had him on your show <laughs> because I thought, okay, yeah, he's, he's a good person to learn from. I learned a lot from Lee. I also learned a lot of Fournier yeah, and yeah. he was amazing on his interview and shared so much value. Yeah. Um, but getting back to it, Dennis, um, you made like a mention and I'm really curious. You said like sometimes there are moments in time uh, in the lifetime spam of a business or for department when micromanagement or having a more of a hard hand can be a beneficial style of leadership. Can we say? Can you tell uh, tell me when that would be the case? Yeah, I, I think that there are times when, uh, and and I don't want to say hard handed, but more of a because I want to put this in a positive light. Yes. You know, right now in so many organizations, they're dealing with tremendous safety issues. You know, as people are coming back into an organization. And so in those types of cases, there have to be non-negotiables. You know, that, that in order to protect our customers, in order to protect our people, there are certain things that we are going to have to do. And as leaders, yes. we need to be willing to get in there. And, 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 and again, I'm struggling with the term micromanage, but let's just use that. When it comes to, those are just such critical issues right now that we have to focus in on those things and make sure that we're doing things correctly because otherwise the consequences for a business, the consequences for people in general are, are extreme. So that's where I would say that, you know, there are times when different leadership approaches can be appropriate. We just have to make sure we're matching up the right approach for the right time period. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. If you have like uh, the possible situation of a life and death yeah, occurrence exactly. and inside in the cases, business. In many cases, that's what's happening right now, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I think it's, you know, the term is situational leadership. And uh, I think that's a, a very good term that we have to decide uh, what's the best approach right now. But as, a, as, a, as an umbrella over everything, I think that the things that we've been talking about in terms of setting the vision and, and showing appreciation and encouraging risk-taking risk and those types of things, as a broad umbrella, those, those really work in just about any yes. business situation. But there need to, we need to be willing to make the adjustments based on what's happening. Yeah, and just think about it. Uh, for example, people that working on fixing the airplanes, you would want their managers to be more hands-on <laughs> with them, and don't they say like, oh, "We right. encourage a little risk taking yeah. and failure. It's not a problem yeah. for us." Or people working in power plants. So there are situations right. where, but for most, especially in, in most tech situations, you you don't have something like. Like right. that. But that's a very good that's a very good example. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to encourage risk taking when somebody's working on an airplane. Uh, yes. Yeah. And and Dennis, since we're we're talking about potential failures, what is the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? I was 
invited to, a, to speak at a, a launch of a patient uh, experience program for a hospital. And uh, they were doing a big rally and they were pulling all of their, the, the hospital team members together. And they were launching this, this initiative that they were putting in place all around yes. uh, patient experience. So I had been trying to reach out to the hospital's uh, CEO to talk with him about, okay, what's your vision for this? And, you know, what are you hoping people come away from my, my part of it? And I was just going to, I was just doing a speech to, to help yes. them to launch. Couldn't get a hold of him, never returned my phone calls. You know, it, it couldn't connect with him. So finally, about five minutes before it was supposed to start, I was up at the, the hospital and we were in the big auditorium. Getting ready to go on the stage. Getting ready to go on stage. And he, he finally came in and he was going to kick everything off. And I said, uh, how are you doing? And he looked me dead in the eye and said, I would be doing a whole lot better if I didn't have to waste my time on things like this. Oh my God. I know. And I just, I just froze, you know, I, I didn't, I, I really didn't know what to say. I thought, well, just cancel all of this because if that's the feeling. So he got up and, and gave his talk and it was very uninspiring. But what, what I noted was all of the executives also had a role to play in this launch. And they'd obviously designed this program to get people excited, to get their people excited and engaged. And so they were playing music and trying to get people up dancing, trying to get people shouting, yes. you know, are you ready to go with this? And the audience was just very reserved, very, you know, <laughs> yes. very they weren't buying into it at all. You know, you could see they just had this, Let's wait and see how long this lasts. <laughs> and that starts at the top, doesn't it? Yes. You know, that really starts at the top. So that, that statement, of, I, would be, I would be doing a whole lot better if I didn't have to waste my time on things like this. That set the tone for the whole organization. And uh, so that was probably the most vivid leadership failure uh, that stands out to me. And I guess that pro that program flopped. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things that I, I could tell, I, I could tell, okay, there's there, because any program or initiative, there's a launch to it. Okay. Yes. And that's where you can, you know, you do the build up and all of that, but at some point, unless senior leadership is highly engaged and highly supportive when it's not working. Okay. Because in any yes. initiative, there's a point where it feels like it's not working, right? It always um, not works in the beginning. There's a, yeah. It's like cleaning out your garage and you know, you pull everything out and you're like, Oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. yeah there's a point. It's where more it's mess like, than it was yeah, before. Exactly. And that's what happens with any initiative. And that's where you need somebody that is, you know, the commitment is there. The energy is there. We're going to get through this. We're going to work together on this. And I knew that wasn't going to happen in this case. And it didn't. And, and, it, and it didn't. So that's the one that really, uh, so you, here you have Valerie Oberly, you know, the, the, my leader from yes. and then this <laughs> example, and they're just two opposite extremes. 
And, and that's something that's really important. If you aren't inspired, you cannot inspire people. Right. Just because they can tell, they look at you, they see you, they say like, this person is not, they say the words, but I can tell they're not, they don't mean them. They're not yeah. true. One of my favorite photographs um, is a photo that I have, and it's, the quality of the photo isn't very good, but it was taken probably around 1959. And it was Walt Disney in Disneyland in California. And you know, one of the, yes. one of the parts of the Disney culture is keeping the place clean. That's one of the top compliments that Disneyland and Disney World gets is how clean the place is. And one of the reasons is everybody picks up trash. You know, every cast member, part yes. of the job is to keep the place clean. So there's a photo of uh, Walt Disney in Disneyland and he's picking up trash off off the ground ah. and you know you think about walking the talk and the way the way i like to think about that is imagine a new hire at disneyland going through training and she he or she is with the trainer and the trainer says it's important to keep the place clean okay and then they look over and there's walt disney picking up trash off the ground i thought yes training doesn't get any better than that you know that just, that just says it all so, you know, again, I think one of the, the important traits of a, of a strong leader, of a, of, a, of a great leader, is they truly do walk the talk. They, they, you know, they demonstrate the values in action and not just, you know, a poster that they put up on the wall. Exactly. And um, talking about walking the talk and training, it's a, I think it will be like even more powerful if the person doing the training actually shows up like not without prompted or make like if they see some, some, something that they say during training, you have to do this. And the people in the training see the trainer doing it out oh, of yeah. their own. Then they say like, this is for real. This is not just so we spend some time here. They say they train right. us. They don't train us. Nobody does it. It's a power, right. more powerful message. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely. And it all comes down to your culture, the culture of the organization. And, uh, you know, do people truly live the values? And the only way to know that is, are they exhibiting the behaviors that you say our values are about? And, you know, so many organizations, they come up with a list of values, but you don't see any evidence of, other than the list. You don't see any evidence, <laughs> yes. you know, well, it should be, it should be where you can watch what people are doing and say, okay, this is a value. This is a value. This is a value because everybody's doing these things. And sometimes it's really tragic because they have the list plastered everywhere. Yeah. And it becomes like a joke because all the employees know that this, nobody's go, is right. doing that yeah. stuff. And yeah. it becomes like water cooler jokes and <laughs> about yeah, the list. <laughs> and then a new initiative comes along and everybody's just like, wait it out. Just wait it out. You know, it'll go away like last year's initiative. You know, so. Yeah, that, that's why it's important. Each and every initiative, if you start it, you have to go with it to the end and really yeah. implement it. And, and when it's not working, how you handle that? Because every initiative has a moment where, okay, this is going to see, now we'll see how committed you really are to this. Because right yes. now it doesn't feel, it feels like it's not working. 
And also, as as the leaders, as the uh, especially the people that promoted the initiative, if you realize that it's not good for the organization, you have to have the the tough conversation, huddling everybody up, say like it's not working, it's not we're not getting the results or we're wanting. You're working really hard at implementing it, but we were wrong. So, um, yeah. so what can we do to fix it? Yes, what can we do to fix it? Versus abandoning everything. You said yes. that didn't work, you know, because then you keep starting over from the same place versus, you know, incremental, you know, improvements where, okay, we get to this point, it's not working. Okay, what can we do? And, my, and then you go up a little bit more and then you keep going up versus, all right, that didn't work. So, yeah, I told you it wasn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no chance of doing something and it has like the the book description impact on the on the business like it's like oh my god it's really transformed it flawlessly without any effort anything everybody embraced it it works no it's a it's a lot of discussions and encouragements and readjustments and all and you have to do it if you really want to get to that next level you have to have to do the work yeah, you're you're right on. You're right on. Yeah. And with that, Dennis, I'm really curious. What is your leadership philosophy? Can I share a, a story that that really yes. that my leader yeah. my, my leadership philosophy when I yes. goes back to Disney and I was promoted into my first management position, uh, and. It was the this was the best job title I've ever had. I was the supervisor <laughs> of Fantasyland. You know, I mean, that, oh that's God, that yes. title. You know, supervisor of Fantasyland, and I was getting ready to give my very first official reprimand to a cast member who there was an attendance problem that this guy had. And that was always one of my pet peeves was attendance issues anyway. And so I was getting ready to, to give the reprimand and he was going to come up to our offices. And my boss, my manager, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Fox, uh, he said, so you're getting ready to give your first reprimand. And I was kind of kidding, but half serious. I said, yeah, I'm going to let him have it. I'm going to let him have it. <laughs> You know, because I was excited. I was because I was finally giving a reprimand rather than getting a reprimand. <laughs> yes. you know, so I was kind of excited about it. And, My turn uh, to give them. Yeah, yeah. It was much better this way. And he sat down and he said something that changed my leadership style from that moment. He sat down and said, Dennis, whatever you have to do as a leader, if you have to reprimand somebody, even if you have to fire somebody, when they walk out the door, you make sure they walk out with their dignity. And yes. that is a moment frozen in time for me. Uh, and not just because Bruce said that, but because he lived it too. The way he treated anybody in, in any circumstance, whatever he had to do, he was so respectful. And so it, when I look at what I hope my leadership style has been, and I know I don't get it right all the time, uh, but from knows. that moment forward is respect, to demonstrate respect for the team, demonstrate re respect for other departments, you know, whatever it may be, 
that's what I've, tr I've tried to live up to that standard that Bruce stated in that moment in 1982 uh, that's frozen in time for me. Yes, and it's hard. It's hard to do, and I understand like the importance mm -hmm. of this. And for me, it goes back to being professional. This is something that I said, like, if you go to work at the job, you have to be a professional, not come with emotional attack people, attack other people's personally, or yourself taking your own personal problems and making it worse for people at, at the yeah. office. It, it's, it's, it's hard to do. Because you're, you're a human being, you have all kinds of situations that appear during a year or a lifetime. So it's not something easy, but striving to be as professional as possible and not relate with the other people. You know, yeah. you have to be also friends, but especially when you're talking about reprimands and stuff like this, you have to be super professional about it. Yeah. And I say yeah. like, you are, you, because you are drinking, that's why it's impacting all this, or yeah. especially, yeah. Or, or something attacking their, their personality and not their right. it, it's, professionalism. It's about, it's about correcting the behavior and not attacking yes. the person. And, uh, and so when, I, when you look back, you know, I know this is true for me, when I look back at pause, you know, role models uh, for me, that's one of the, the traits that's there is that they respect people they through their behaviors yes. they do it. and you made a good point earlier we have to be conscious of it because sometimes in the back of our mind we do respect this person but our actions aren't demonstrating it for whatever reason yes. we're in a hurry uh we've got a bunch of things on our minds and so we're not thinking about it and that's why i think it's important uh again as as leaders that we've got to be very conscious of what our actions are saying to people. Tom Peters, the, the business writer, Tom Peters had a great quote that I heard. Uh, and he, I heard in a speech one time, he said, the problem isn't that your people don't know what you're doing. The problem is your people do know what you're doing. Oh, yes, they're, that's they're, the they're problem. Watching. Yeah, they're watching. And so that's the thing is, is intent is one thing, but behaviors are something that we we have to make sure our behaviors follow the intent and um you know again that's one of the things that i learned from from bruce yes and it's something sometimes i find it strange people tend to forget how they were when they were like in more of a um, production uh, position You're and right. not in management and they forget that people, they knew a lot about managers and they were actually scrutinizing their managers and discussing with their colleagues everything that they were doing and impressions and if somebody got a feeling or a feeling that uh, bonuses because the company is going well, we're going to get bonuses because I saw this manager doing this and this or... And so mm -hmm. there's always there's always this constant conversation <laughs> among the the all the employees about oh, their yeah. superiors. Yeah, and yeah. they know yeah. a lot. They know more about. <laughs> they sure do. They sure do. Uh, you know, I, I, and again, it goes like that. Tom Peters quote is: "They know. They they know what we value because they're watching what we do." Yeah, and I think if you would get like ten ten. Uh, 
people working under a manager together, they could probably form a better psychological profile of the person than a psychologist. <laughs> so, probably right. They could probably save a lot of money <laughs> on tests and so forth. <laughs> <because>, yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, now thinking about this, like people that are in production and they want to move to management, hopefully they're not going to forget. What would be your top three leadership tips for aspiring leaders? Well, my focus is, you know, what I do is I focus on customer experience. So my business, that's what I, I help companies that want to improve the customer experience. So what I would say is for aspiring leaders uh, and really leaders at any level uh, is to number one, be very, very clear on what the customer experience is supposed to be. You know, be, be, be crisp. Nobody's going to be more clear about that than the leader, whether it's the, the top person in the organization, a department leader, whatever, whatever position, leadership position there. What do we want the customer experience to be? It starts with that. The second yes. thing then is, are we hiring people that are wired to deliver that experience? Are we hiring the right people? You know, if we're going to spend our time anywhere, hiring the right people is a pretty good place to spend time uh, because everything is either easier or harder based on that hiring decision. We've all hired the wrong person at some oh, point yes. and things become very difficult when you've hired the wrong person. We've all hired wonderful people who said, how did I do that? I would love to clone this person, you know, if I could just clone <laughs> this. So time spent in making sure, and Disney's very focused on the hiring process. So they call it the casting process because they want you to know that you're being cast for a role in the show. So spend time hiring. Third thing is that I think for any leader is we need to look at ourselves as trainers and communicators. We need to train and communicate relentlessly to keep that message in front of our people of what that experience is supposed to be. Remember I talked earlier about Valerie's vision, you know, and, and how yes. that was just such a, so as leaders, whether we're talking about onboarding new people, ongoing training, uh, rallies that we have, the Zoom meetings that we have. Yes. Are we reinforcing that culture? Are we, and, and the word I like to use is we need to be relentless about it. So when I look at three things that I think, you know, for any, an aspiring leader or any leader is being crystal clear on what that customer experience is supposed to be, making sure we're bringing people into our organization that are wired to deliver that experience, and then training and communicating relentlessly. Keep it just, we can't assume that people just get it. We've got to keep that message in front of people uh, all the time. One of the questions that I get asked a lot uh, okay. when people know, find that I worked at Disney, they'll say, how long is the training? That's one of the most common questions I get is, you know, how long well, is the as training? As long as you work there. As long as you work there. Because you're surrounded by messages of what the experience is supposed to be all about. And that's the best way to do it. Yeah. And talking about customer experience, um, I also feel that if you work in a supporting department, your customers are the other departments inside the business. Absolutely. And right this on. goes really true. This goes really for IT, 
because they're usually are in a, in a support. And you have to make sure that you're offering a really great experience and everybody enjoys working with, <laughs> with the tech department. Yeah, you know, and, and I've had people say, you know, I don't deal with customers. You know, like, like let's say an IT person. You know, I don't deal yes. with customers. Certainly you deal with customers. Your customer is the person you're providing a service to. It just happens to be somebody in the organization. But if you don't have a customer, you don't have a job. You know, your job wouldn't exist. Yes. If you weren't serving somebody, your job would not exist. So it's the, the same principles apply regardless of whether we're serving an internal or an external customer. You know, customers want you to be good at what you do, right? They want you to be efficient. You know, they want you to be easy to work with. And I want you to be nice to me. You know, yeah. really, and it so doesn't simple. matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's an internal or an external customer. I want you to do what you said you were going to do. I want you to be efficient doing it, and I want you to be nice to me. Uh, if we all did those three things, the world would be a wonderful place. Oh yes, uh, and Dennis, since since you are such an expert on customer experience, would you have some like tips or like a creep shit? for leaders that they can use to improve their customer experience? Like what would be your top tip or advice? Well, it's, you know, when I work with organizations, um, one of the first activities that I will help them through, the, in a, a company that's trying to make a shift in their, their service culture, is I'll say, what are the three things that you would want your customers to say about their experience? Okay, what are the three things that you want? Because that makes you really focus on your brand, all right? And you can do that for a department too. Let's say you're the leader of an IT department in a company. You know, what are the three things that we would want our customers to say about their experience with us? And then, because again, that really makes, having to focus on three really makes you focus on your brand. And then the next part of the discussion is, so what has to happen? in order for our customers to say those three things about us. And that's where you really start getting into some of the behavioral aspects of it. So at Disney, if they want, if they want people to say, they want guests to say they paid attention to every detail. Okay, so what has to happen then if we want our guests to say that? Well, as cast members, then if I see a piece of trash on the ground, I guess that means I need to go pick over it and pick it up and throw it away. It all just kind of, you know, comes into play. And then, you know, so, so that is the first part of the crib sheet. And then the second part of the crib sheet is, okay, we need to make sure we're hiring people that are wired to do those behaviors. Yes. We need to train and communicate relentlessly around it. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's not rocket science, is it? It's, it's, it's pretty, oh, it's all of it is, is pretty basic, but you have to do it consciously, you know, because we're so busy. We're all so busy. There's so many things on our plate. There's so many demands that we really have to, you know, make a conscious effort to do some of these basic things and, you know, put them on the calendar, you know, put them on the, the you know, I'm going to be out in the, 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 uh, 
you know, as a manager in the parks, I'm going to be out in the parks and I, these are the things I'm going to be looking for. And I'm going to make sure I'm recognizing yes. people for doing a great job. You know, it all comes down to, we, we, we've, we've got to make sure that we're living the values consciously. And I think like, it's more like the example of picking up a piece of trash and moving it. It's more like a micro behavior that mm -hmm. you can have the opportunity to do it more often. So you're constantly reinforcing the more macro behaviors, let's say, yeah. that you also yeah. want to get. So you think about a, uh, you know, an IT department and, you know, one of the things that, that happens oftentimes is, as a, the customer side of things, I don't understand what the IT department does. Okay, they, it's, yeah, it's confusing. It's a common all problem. I know, all I know that is either the technology is working or it's not working. Okay, that, that's, that's the yes, extent it's of all my all knowledge. Yes. Okay, that's the extent of my knowledge. And an IT department that wants, let's say that one of the things they want their customers to say is they were easy to do business with. Okay, they were easy to do yes. business with. Well, that means then not talking in jargon that your customer is not going to understand to explain what you're going to do and how it's going to work to treat people with respect and, and, you know, make sure that you understand uh, that this is a challenging situation for them. You know, it's again, the behaviors just kind of fall into, into place uh, when you've defined what the experience is supposed to be. Yeah, and sometimes it's hard, like especially simplifying your language because yeah, you invested a lot of time and energy to learn all that jargon. Yeah, and then you yeah. want to use it because you want because to use you it, went use it with help. your colleagues. Use it with <laughs> yeah. your colleagues. Yeah, I used to say, you know, it's funny when I used to talk to uh, technology folks uh, when I would have a tech issue at at Disney. I used to say feel free to talk to me like I'm five years old, okay? You can't say that anymore because five-year-olds are so technologically savvy now. <laughs> yes. uh, I would say, talk to me like you would explain this to your grandfather. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, but that's something. And even I find it even like tech people, they appreciate it more when you can explain complex ideas in uh, using regular conversational right, and right right not yeah. being all jargon everything because nobody wants to be there with a dictionary or searching all after after the conversation searching what the hell did he did he say yeah. to me because I, yeah, and what ends up happening is then i need to contact you again because i really didn't understand what happened so now you go through the whole cycle again and and uh, so I call I call this when I'm when I'm doing training I call it looking through the lens of the customer, you know yes. and that includes the the terminology that you know where's your customer coming from and seeing the experience through their lens. Uh, if you use just one term that the customer or the, another person does not does not understand, then they're going to think about it and try to solve it and they don't hear anything about the rest no, of the stuff you're, you're seeing. You're, you're right on. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, like looking like you have like an impressive library. So I'm really curious. <laughs> what what is the book that had the most profound impact on you? 
Yeah, I love to, I mean, that's again, one of the, my great pleasures in life is reading. I think from the a business book, uh, it came out, I think in the 1990s, but every bit of it is relevant today. It's a book called First Break All the Rules by Marcus Buckingham. First Break All the Rules. It was, he was with Gallup, uh, the Gallup organization. And that, that book really sort of launched a lot of different elements of the Gallup. Or I don't know if you're familiar with the Gallup Q12. Uh, that's no, about, I don't know. It's all about employee engagement. Okay, how do you create intense employee And there's 12, 12 questions that if employees in an organization respond positively to these 12 questions, you're going to have an engaged workplace. And this was the first book that really brought this out and, and kind of, I, I don't want to say it launched the employee engagement uh, field, but it was early on. So I, that's one of the books that I always recommend to leaders. I, it, I've, I've got that book highlight. I've got highlights all through it. Uh, and I still go back to it. I still go back to it and think, yeah, that, that is just such a powerful message. You know, the world has evolved, obviously, since then. But these, the, the principles that are discussed in the book are, are timeless. Uh, so that's probably my all-time favorite business book. And it goes into the 12 questions and discusses yeah. them? Yeah. Yeah, it goes into, you know, do, you know, do you feel respected? Uh, uh, do, do, uh, are your ideas valued? You know, things like that. Yeah, so it goes through all of them. There's 12 of them. And uh, again, the more of them that your people can answer positively, the greater the likelihood you're going to have an engaged work workforce and it's all research based that's the that's the other thing i love about it is it wasn't it wasn't marcus buckingham's opinion of all of us it was based on years of data that that the gallup organization had been gathering um so it, it is all research based it's not an opinion amazing yeah and since this is like you stressed it's the business book what would be the personal book so that, that's not the business book that's really oh, impacted you. Oh, okay. My, my favorite personal business book or personal book, I mean. Yeah, I personal my book. New, my, my new favorite book just as a, as a book is um, A Gentleman in Moscow. Uh, and I'm trying to remember the author's first name. His last name is Towles, T-O-W-L-E-S. And it's about a gentleman who is uh, sentenced to uh, stay in this hotel in Moscow. He, you know, he did say okay. you have to read the book, but the, the, the court said you will, you will spend the rest of your life in the, in, under house arrest in this hotel. And so he, the whole Russian history plays out from his perspective of his time in this hotel. In the hotel. Fascinating, and it's wonderfully written. Um, yeah, a gentleman in Moscow. I can't remember his first name, but his last name is T O W L E S. Uh, it's just one of my one of my favorite personal books. Sounds amazing. I'm going to check it out. 
Yeah. And Dennis, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? The best way to, to reach out is through my website, which is www.snowassociates, all one word, .com. So www.snowassociates.com. That's where we have information about, you know, the, the, my speaking and training and virtual programs and so forth. But we also have, we use that as the hub for everything. My blog, video, links to videos that I've created that people can, can take a look at, downloads, uh, information about my books. Uh, all of those things are there. So we, we use that as the, uh, as the hub for everything. But I, I you know, in my, my email and all that is there, I'm always happy to interact with folks if they have questions or comments. Uh, I, I hope it comes across that I love talking about these things. Uh, it comes across, it comes across. And good, thank you, thank you. And Dennis, I'm going, I'm recommending people to check out the website and reach out to you and find out more. And I especially recommend them to check out your books. Uh, probably there are on Amazon or they're going to find yep, them on yep, your yeah, website where to get them. Yep. Yeah. It's been a true pleasure talking with you, Dennis. Well, Thank you've you been so a much. wonderful interviewer. I, I really appreciate you've had, you. You ask great questions and I love the, the dialogue that, that we have. So uh, I would welcome the opportunity to do this again in the future. For sure. For sure. Right. All right. Thank you so much. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe and share please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.